This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Sometimes you have to walk through a mess and put up with some hassles to get to fly fishing paradise. That's something Dave and I experienced on a recent fly fishing trip to southeast Minnesota. We wanted to try something different, something unique, and that's exactly what we got. <laughs> we read about the Little Jordan Creek in Bob Travis's book, Fly Fishing for Trout in Southeast Minnesota, A Trout Chaser's Guide, and his description of this creek just cracks me up. It is kind of hilarious. It He's, is. He says that ex- accessing the Little Jordan requires you to walk through, quote, one of the messiest farmyards I have ever seen. Once you have gone through <laughs> over and under several fences, you will exit the farmyard and then walk past rusted and damaged farm equipment and two remnants of mobile homes. This equipment menagerie may cause you to doubt my sanity for suggesting you will find both brown and brook trout here. <laughs> but once you read the water that the DNR worked on many years ago, you should have a fun day, unquote. Uh, uh, and we did, didn't we? Oh, you, we, uh. no kidding. And he was... Dead oh, on. He was. So here are some memories from the, the day. I mean, before we even got there, I guess, uh, how did we find this place? Well, we had researched it. Actually, you know, we heard it from the shop monkey back right. in April. Mm-hmm. He said, hey, there's this little creek called Little Jordan. And we it was a rainy day. The Canfield Creek was blown out. Remember that? Yep. And so mm-hmm. we just took the day because there was no fishing. Right. And just looked at a couple around. different. Yeah, we and drove around. And he said, look for the junky farmyard. Sure and, enough, there yep, was this tiny was. little stream that uh, came out of this junky farmyard. So we actually stumbled across it yep. in April, so three or four months yep. earlier. That's right. So when we had a really tough day on Canfield Creek the day before, we thought, hey, why don't we try the Little Jordan? I yeah. think that's how the whole thing came about, right? It, it was. In fact, we, we thought, well, do we try that? The, uh, the night before, we, we actually stumbled onto uh, the Weisel Creek. We did a podcast on that. That was really good. You know, we thought, well, let's try the little Jordans. Probably not going to be any good, but no. let's let's do it and say we did. Yeah, sometimes you have to eliminate uh, places that just aren't any good. And honestly, that's kind of thought what I thought might happen. The first but, memory uh, of the day was walking through all the horses, yeah, the cattle, including. Yep. A bull. Yes, that's so right. So it looked like a black Angus. I'm walking yeah. along, and there's cattle and cattle and cattle and cattle. And all of a sudden, I look up, and here's this young bull looking at me. I'm yeah. thinking, great. Hmm. <laughs> so I'm going to just move right across the stream. Oh, you know, I, that would not have saved me. But uh, he, he wasn't uh, belligerent or anything. So he just was, you know, just he wanted to get out of the way. Yeah. It wanted to get out of the way. That's so right. <laughs> we were fine. Uh, there were also Canadian geese. Yeah, that's There's right. There's like a gaggle uh-huh. of Canadian yeah. geese out there, and they were not flying. It was like they had to, you know, they were just skedaddling away because we were in their way. So between the geese, the cattle, the horses, oh. and the bull. Yes, that was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. And I think what really stood out to me was, was finally arriving at... Dave, I'm just going to say it's one of the most beautiful meadows I've ever fished. And, and I think I'm kind of picky about 
you know, and I say, oh, it's one of the most beautiful places I fished. I fished so many gorgeous spots in Montana, Colorado, you know, in Yellowstone Park, some of these just gorgeous. Even Glacier National Park. Oh, I know. And, and I was just stunned, and maybe it was the juxtaposition of the, you know, here's this uh, cluttery, uh, you know, farm, yeah, this cluttery farmyard, and once you walk through that, you just break out into this beautiful, beautiful meadow. Uh, I mean, I couldn't believe how quiet it was. There, there were no, the, the dull sounds of traffic, no doors slamming, no planes flying. I mean, it, it's quieter than when we're on the Madison River or the Yellowstone River in Montana. It felt really isolated. Yep, really did. And I think the other thing that I that struck me was the fact, now how far did we have to walk to actually get there wow i don't know was it was it it was probably a good mile wasn't it maybe well, three quarters of a mile yeah. before we could actually start fishing right and that first three quarters of a mile oh man you're walking through what looks like sagebrush high grass it's not sage that would be right. western yeah. montana yeah um but, but weedy yeah it was very a lot of weedy. thistles lot, yeah, yeah that wasn't that sage right. it was it was yeah thistles yep. and then your you know your great view is of just junk. It was like the farmer. It broke down, yeah. and then he turned it off. Right. And it's, it was there for you know, the last fifty yep, years. Yep. That's where right? where it died is where it, it stayed. And yeah. and so so as you're walking through this, you're thinking, eh, not yeah. sure, sure this was a really good idea. And, right. And that section of the stream was kind of trampled. It really didn't have any character. Not not so much because of the the, the farm, but it was just a kind of a straight shot. There were no. Really no undercut banks. Yeah, cattle had been in it. And so, yeah, we weren't really sure what we were going to find. I think what was hard is that the cattle were ahead of us, and we were. it felt like we were moving them ahead of us. Yeah. And they were right in the stream. It was a really warm <clears throat> mm -hmm. day. And so I was just thinking, oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. we are, they're yep. going to walk through the mm -hmm. river, right, or the stream yep. ahead of us for the next mile or two. Yep. And finally, we got beyond them, and we came to this the stretch of the creek was like, okay, this is where the fishing will begin. There was a beautiful cabin through the trees, but that's when we ran into another little problem. <laughs> <laughs> so oh. this beautiful cabin in the trees was, was being built by someone who was there working on it. It looked like it was his dream cabin. And as soon as we saw this cabin, it was probably a hundred yards off the off the little stream, right? And through some trees. Yeah, so it wasn't right on the stream. This chocolate lab bounded over, and this was a young dog, probably eighteen months to two years old, and this dog would not leave us alone. I remember one time you cast your fly, and he starts chasing yeah. into the stream where you cast your fly. Oh, I was so mad. <laughs> so we're saying things and muttering things under our breath and we're looking back at the cabin because the owner is actually outside working on the cabin and he's calling to the dog and the dog is not listening so in your head you're thinking well at mm. some point the dog is going to obey him yeah and, and of course and it's awkward too because you, you ordinarily without being nasty or mean you'd say go home go home but it's like well the, the owner's there how awkward is that you know you don't want to right. speak gruffly to his little uh you know purebred chocolate lab and so right and arguably you're on private property there and so right. you have access because the dnr has given you access to that property 
And I, you're not sure if that's his land. But anyway, the dog would not leave us alone. No. H- how long did that dog stay oh, with us? It was probably 20 minutes, I think. It was so discouraging. Yeah. I just kept fishing because I figured, you know, but as soon as you think the dog, you thought the dog was gone, yeah. he'd circle back. And it's surprising how how much that put me on edge. I, I, I was just, angry. Just because I, it's like, you know, nothing's going to happen, but I, I don't really want to have a confrontation with the landowner. It's, this is a, a relaxing morning and all of a sudden it was, uh, Great. Now we have this little hyper chocolate lab that we have to deal with. He did have a hunting collar on. He did have yeah. that orange mm-hmm. hunting collar on. I just thought, man, just just shock the dog. Finally, the dog um, obeyed its owner. In fact, actually, the do- the owner actually took out his uh, little what do you yeah, got, ATV. Yeah, he brought his four-wheeler. Yeah, his yeah. four-wheeler and drove out and picked mm-hmm. up the dog. So we were finally relieved of that. Yep. So that was just, <laughs> it was kind of like, really? Yeah. This is also part of the morning, too. We're going to have to I fight know. this dog. By the way... I'm just going to say this one more time. Your dog is not as obedient as you think your dog is. I'm just saying. Yes. It's, he's just not. Is that or true with not. your dog too, Dave? Uh, my two dogs? Yes, it is. So I'm just working right now on our little, we have a, like a four-month-old golden retriever and working on the dog, working on, we're training us, you know, how to come, oh. how to stay, how to go in the crate. And I'm working now on retrieving with the dog. And I'm just saying that your dog is not as obedient as you think it is. Oh, no. Oh, well, and I digress, but ours is not. We have this Black Lab Great Dane cross. It was a rescue dog. And and uh, <laughs> here about three weeks ago or so, maybe a month ago by now, uh, I was getting ready to leave the house. I think I was all stressed out anyway. I had a busy morning and getting out the door late. And I went out the front door, and one of my grandsons, uh, was kind of behind me, and he opened the door, and our dog, our, our black lab, uh, saw another dog across the road that's being walked, and he raced out of there. I thought, oh, no. And so, you know, to make a long story short, kind of here's this scene, and he's barking, and my wife finally got him back. And then the guy came over, and, and he was really nice, but he was a new dog owner, and he was he was kind of shaken, and he... He said, I think your dog attacked mine. And I was thinking to myself, you you think? I mean, what <laughs> did or it Either, didn't? Exactly. And, it's binary, baby. Right. And, and, I'm, and I'm thinking, too, yeah, you know, our, you know, I might think our dog wouldn't do anything, but, but dogs do that. And, and, and the guy was really nice, but it's almost like he wanted, you know, some kind of reassurance that he could walk his dog in the neighborhood and that his dog was okay. And I said, yeah, you, your dog looks fine and you know, whatever. But so anyway, yes, we digress, but, but that's, we, we get the dog thing. We do. But hey, finally, we get past that. Well, actually, I caught oh. that really nice brown. Remember in that hole? Actually, I yeah. foul hooked the hole. Yeah. I foul hooked this really nice brown. He went for the uh, caddis and I had an emerger and it, it foul hooked him. <clears throat> yeah. And but yeah, uh, he went for your fly. Though. Yeah, he I, did. I saw it. And yeah. Uh, really nice brown trout. Oh, it was, it was probably about 13 inches. Yeah, it, was it was probably the biggest one we caught all really day. Nice. Yeah, it was a really nice, nice fish. I thought the yeah. creek was really low as well. It was because where the DNR yep. had done some work, mm-hmm. um, it looked like the creek was much uh, lower than it normally it is. It was. But I tell you what, Dave. After we got past the lab, that was some beautiful water. I mean, that through that meadow, that stream just you know, all, it was just a series of S curves or. 
you know that ribbon candy you get at Christmas? Yep. It's almost like if you were looking down from above, like you're looking down on ribbon candy. I mean, all these wines and bends. So was... there were these nice little cuts under oh, the bank yeah. and perfect yes. for fly fishing. So you had very little in the, in the way of... Uh, for your back mm -hmm. cast. Now there were some large trees and you had to kind of work around them. And of course I got snagged a lot cause that's how I roll, <laughs> yeah. but there were some really, yeah. really nice cuts in there and not cutthroat, but cuts under the bank yep. and nice pools. And even though it was really low, it was really warm. I thought the water was probably a little warm, but mm -hmm. man, there were some great fishing. Yeah, really great really fishing. was. Well, and something else that was really cool. And in retrospect, I think kind of got lost because this happened right during the, the dog confrontation. But you caught a tiger trout. You I did. A cross between a brookie and a brown. And that's, it, it made me realize that's the first one I've ever caught or ever seen. No, I haven't caught any. That's the first one I've ever seen. Well, I, you know, I see them on Instagram. So yep. uh, if you follow us on Instagram, I have all these, uh, we follow all these people from across the country actually across mm -hmm. the world and so you see i i've seen tiger trout yeah i've mm -hmm. never caught a tiger no. trout and why did i not take a picture oh of that? i know well it's because of that dog it I was think just we were flustered totally by the dog flustered and, i couldn't believe yeah. it anyway it was frustrating but it was a beautiful it's probably a 10 inch oh, tiger trout and as soon as you get it in your hand you go what like, what is this what that is looks this? like a brook trout in the bottom the brook trout colors on the bottom at the top it's like this is not yeah it was really brook amazing. trout markings yeah it was really wonderful it was a beautiful beautiful, beautiful fish. fish yeah you'd think you'd think all of the places over the years where we fished where there are both brookies and browns that we would have caught one but never have yep, and the small meadow in southeastern minnesota yeah i know and and i know that they that it's it's fairly rare that's part of it it is fairly rare that they crossbreed when they do the uh, the, the tiger trout are sterile they're not right. going to uh, they're not going to be able to reproduce, but uh, that was really fascinating. So it's like a donkey, right? A cross between a yeah. mule and a horse. The donkey yeah. is sterile. Yeah, right, that's right, right. right. Well, hey, it was a dry fly fisher's paradise. Oh, it really we had was. A blast. And uh, I guess when you think about the, the lesson of that day, Dave, what, what comes to mind? You do have to sometimes put up with a mess or whatever the <laughs> yeah. hassle is to get to some really good fly fishing. But the other thing I think stuck out to me was just the importance of taking a risk on a smaller stream. And sometimes you look at a stream or you see it, you drive by it, or you see it on a map and it looks small and you think, ah, I don't want to spend my time fighting yeah. that. Mm -hmm. it's the pools are too small. The fish will be too small. Mm -hmm. But I do think the important lesson for me was take a risk on a smaller stream yeah mm -hmm. and it yep. was such a delight i wonder oh, if was. we had fished it in the evening we probably would have really had a great time yeah we sure might have so we fished it what from 8 to 11 something like that 8 30 yep. to 11 mm -hmm. and we really didn't have good fishing the window was probably 10 30 to 11 mm -hmm. or yep. maybe it was. 10 to 11. hey do you remember too in the spring when we drove by we saw the style where you could cross the fence but in July, it was so grown up, you couldn't see it. And I'm confident yeah. anybody who you know, was driving around looking for a place to fish, number one, you wouldn't see it. Number two, you'd just see this junkyard, this junkyard of a farm and say, oh, I'm not going there. Yeah, I grew up in North Dakota, and one of the things, at least that my German you know, ancestors, the, the biggest... Mm -hmm 
sin you could commit is have a junky farmyard. Yeah, yep. And mm-hmm. you know, I just, it was drilled into my head. You mow the lawn, you know, you you take old machinery and put it in one single place and line yeah. it up. You don't mm-hmm. like a couple of years ago. I was out hunting with my dad in in North Dakota in a place, and there's this land that is just like this farmyard. It's just junky, and and we were we came across this combine that had just stopped about a year earlier he he broke down like the fan belt broke or something (laughs) and it actually had been three years and that thing had not moved oh man wow so he just left it right there in the middle of the field and today it still sits there (laughs) there it is it's a different way of looking at the world i guess i guess so maybe you could try not to be judgmental are there any deer hunting around you could use that blind oh it would be perfect actually for coyote hunting too calling in coyotes it's actually would be perfect oh man well, hey, that's going to do it for today. I uh, hope that you'll get out on uh, one of those uh, uh, small streams like that and have the kind of adventure we did, minus the dog. <laughs> minus the dog. All right, it's time for great stuff from our listeners. Dace made a comment on our post about the lure of fly fishing creeks, and I think it's a nice tie-in to today's podcast. This is what Dace wrote. Little no-name creeks that flow around Rifle, Colorado, are full of brookies. My grandfather took me to so many of them. We would spend hours upon hours dropping flies and yes, our offerings in little creeks. Funny what you remember about those times, the smells, the heat, and just the way the air felt. Wish I could go back to those carefree days. Love the little water. That's so good. Can I just say something? Oh yeah. I was in Rifle, Colorado three days ago. Wow. So we were at Glenwood Springs. Huh. We had to do interviews yeah. for uh, our work in Avon in and in Rifle. I was in Rifle. No kidding. Yeah. I, I had no idea. I should have. I, I mean, I just didn't have the time. Huh. I, I thought about, okay, yeah. I'd take an extra day and doing some fly fishing wow. around there. And again, I, I was going to fish the Roaring yeah. Fork that flows into the Colorado there but uh, at Glenwood Springs. But anyway, Rifle, Colorado. Wow. That's great. And this guy remembers fishing with his grandfather. and Those are great memories. Oh, I love that. The, yeah, the smells, the heat, the way the air felt. I, no, I, I understand that. I think... I think any outdoors person gets that. I like that last phrase, love the little water. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, that's going to do it for today. Please tell us about a fly fishing paradise that didn't look like paradise when you first got out of your vehicle or uh, maybe your experience on some little water. Please go to twoguysinariver.com and comment on this podcast link. What kind of a mess or hassle did you have to put up with to go to a fly fisher's paradise? You can find Two Guys in a River on all the social platforms. We'd love for you to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and obviously Instagram. And, of course, you can visit our website, twoguysinariver.com. We publish a new episode every week and a new article every week. And, of course, we'd love for you to purchase our book on Amazon.com, The Fly Fisher's Book of Lists, Life is Short, Catch More Fish. Well, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing.